if you have your Bible, please, uh, please turn with me, if you have not, to the book of John. The book of John, chapter 13. Typically, on Palm Sunday, we would kick off something in the book of, of Luke, uh, looking at the, the triumphal entry of Jesus. But the, the Holy Spirit has led me to a different place today. And before we get to our portion of Scripture, uh, I have a question for you. How many of you in here could raise your hand and say, uh, I noticed or have taken notice of the fact that in general, people like to argue? Would you agree with that? People like to argue. And now, I mean, some of you who didn't raise your hand are probably thinking to yourself, well, I don't even agree with that statement. And there you are, (laughs) filling in my point. People like to argue. I mean, in general terms, we tend to be a people who love to get our point across, don't we? We love to express our opinion. We, we love to push our ideas. And generally, and in many cases, we're promoting ourselves. Now, our mindset, for the most part, especially here in America, tends to be all about self-worth and self-importance and self-esteem. And it really creates a self-centered lifestyle. And for many of us, the reality is, is that we're completely and utterly blind to that fact. I mean, it's always somebody else who's that way. It's never ourself, right? Now, if I was to tell you that even the guys that hung out with Jesus, his men, his disciples, they were blind to the very same problem. What would you think? You'd probably argue, right? The disciples were caught in the mentality of self. And for those of you who know what I'm about to speak on before we get to chapter 13, we know that the disciples were arguing about who amongst them was the greatest. They nearly missed the entire point uh, of their three years that they spent with Jesus and what it means to actually be a Christ follower or, or a servant. And while we know from Scripture that it was the Passover time. It was a special time of remembrance for the Jewish people. It was a time for them to think back uh, to when God lovingly and graciously delivered the Israelites from bondage in Egypt. And when the lamb was sacrificed and the blood of the lamb was placed on the door frames, then the angel of death would come and would see the blood and he would pass over those homes. And so Israel was delivered. We know that they began to celebrate the Passover every year with a big celebration and a dinner feast that would last for multiple days. And so let me ask you this morning, is the Lord's table special and significant for you? Is this an important meal for you? Because really the the last thing that you want to have before a dinner party or a supper with guests is to have a squabble. The last thing that you want before you sit down at a table and eat a meal together is to have an argument or some dissension in the home. I mean, come on, not today, right? Not, not before dinner, right? I mean, and Jesus sends his men off to get stuff to prepare this meal, And somehow, in the mindset of this very special and sacred moment, his men begin to argue. 
And about what? Luke 22 tells us, and there was strife among them, which one of them should be accounted as the greatest. I mean, it's frightening to me as a follower of Christ and as a pastor to think that Jesus just poured into these, three, these men for three years. They saw time and time and time again, example after example of Jesus' character on display in almost every conceivable circumstance that now... At the final hours before his betrayal, his arrest, his crucifixion, his men were arguing about who was the greatest. You know, if it was us, right, the, the parent in us could have done something similar to what Jesus did. We, we could have lectured Right? How many of you parents like to lecture your children? Don't incriminate yourselves, right? You're like, that's not me. I never did that. Don't lie. Don't be pious in church. But Jesus didn't do that. Jesus could have said a whole lot of things. He could have said something very poignant, pungent in that very moment of time. But the reality was Jesus had already said so much in that three-year period. And somehow, even his own men missed the point. These were the men who were supposed to know what it meant to love and to lead and to live in unity with others and to teach the gospel truths. And so how do you truly do that? Is it truly done through a lecture? No. And so instead of a lecture, Jesus gives them a lesson in what it actually looks like to love. What is the action of love? In the midst of their arguing, he uses an everyday household item, a servant's towel. I want you to look with me at John chapter 13 and start out in verse number 1. And he says, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father... Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And during supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand and that he had come from God and was going back to God, he rose from supper and he laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. And then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around them. Now, before you panic, I'm not going to have you wash your neighbor's feet this morning. Verse number six, he came to Simon Peter, who said, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, what, am I doing, or what I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. Peter said to him in verse number eight, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, if I do not wash your feet, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus says to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. And that's why he said, not all of you are clean. In verse 12, when he had washed their feet, and put on his outer garments and resumed his place. He said to them, do you 
do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should also do just as I have done to you. And truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. And this is God's word for us today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask of you in this place that you would give us something fresh and new to apply to our lives in a very familiar portion of Scripture. God, we ask that we would lay aside our our misconceptions and our preconceived notions about this portion of Scripture and that you would illuminate truths for us today as we become a people who walk in humility and fulfill the, the greatest commandments to love you first with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love others as ourselves. And so God, I pray that you would be magnified and glorified in this place as we read through and study this text and as we uh, reflect and remember through uh, communion. And I ask and pray these things now in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. Now, I'm not sure how you would feel after a meal, but the last thing that I really want to do is to wash somebody's feet. It's not. And in fact, these are some of Jesus's last moments before his death. And I don't know how you want to spend the last few hours before you die, but I can tell you right now, foot washing is not high on my list. It's just not. In fact, I was telling the prayer team downstairs earlier that I hate feet. I don't even like to see them or look at, I don't even like my own feet. And so it's just not something that's high on my list. But the point that I want us to see here this morning and the reason you all have been given one of these towels is because life is not about self-worth or net worth or self-awareness or or self-esteem because we have way too much of that in this culture. What we need more of is Christ-esteem. Christ-esteem. I mean, to be a Christ follower is to be a servant. We are to be servants. We are to serve the people around us. And so what are the lessons that we can learn from the towel? What are the lessons that we can learn from Jesus and the simple towel that you have in your hand? Well, the first thing I want you to see this morning is that you can really tell what kind of servant you are when you're actually treated like one. You can tell what kind of servant you are when you are actually treated like one. You know, most, most everybody has an internal objection line. Something that they would say that I, I will not go beyond this line right here. This is the line that says I will only go this far in serving. I'll only go this far in giving. I'll only go this far in helping. But that... That I I won't do. That's asking way too much. And that's precisely the mindset that the disciples had. I mean, I was reading a story just recently about a man by the name of D.L. Moody. How many of you recognize the name? D.L. Moody. He was an evangelist, author, pastor, a, a huge influence for Christianity here in America. And he hosted a pastor's conference. And in fact, for those of you who don't, don't know, there is a college and seminary named after him in Chicago uh, called Moody Bible Institute. 
D.L. Moody was a huge influence here in America, and he hosted a pastor's conference in Chicago, and he invited pastors all over the globe, but specifically those here in America and those that were from European countries. And many of the men came, and at night, the pastors from the European countries set their shoes outside of their hotel room door and were waiting for them to be shined for the next morning. And it was done as a courtesy in Europe, but it was not done that way here in America. And as D.L. Moody walked down the hall, the corridor of that hotel area, he saw all of the shoes that were lined outside of those dormitory rooms. He gathered all of them up. He quietly went to a room alone and he began polishing them. And in the early hours of the morning, several hours into polishing shoes, one of his friends happened upon him. And Moody invited him to serve the men and shine their shoes. And this is what D.L. Moody said. He said, this here, shining shoes, is a good reminder that we are not more important than the Lord. He said, there are many of us who are willing to do great things for God, but there are few of us who are willing to do the little things. And as we think about that very thought, I could not help but be reminded of one of the most influential leaders of the Old Testament, Moses. Moses grew up in Egypt and spent the first 40 years of his life thinking that he was somebody. Moses then spent the next 40 years of his life realizing that he was nobody. And he spent the last 40 years of his life Realizing what God could do with that nobody. And so I have a question for you this morning. And and I don't mean to sound crass, but who do you think you are? I mean, what is it that you are not willing to do for God? I mean, because when we look at this text, it's mind-blowing to think that Jesus, the, the Prince of Glory the one who's about to return back to glory and and take his rightful place at the right hand of God, he's the one who was washing the feet. I mean, someone should have been washing Jesus' feet, but instead he's washing off the muck and the dirt and the grime from the feet of the men. In fact, the one man sitting at that table was just moments away from betraying Jesus. He washed the feet of the man who would deny him three times. He washed the feet of the rest of the disciples who would disperse at the cross and would not even show up as their Savior was dying. What a picture. What a lesson that we see here in Scripture about what love truly looks like. Jesus is showing us exactly how we should act when we're treated like a servant. I mean, we we need to see something very important here in the text. Do you know one of the primary reasons that Jesus could do what he did was because of the love of the Father and because of his love for his own I'm about to turn 34 which seems quite young compared to uh, the many people in my life and those who have influenced me. But I have realized in this 34 years of life that love will cause you to lose your sense of self-importance. 
Love will cause you to lose the fear of being rejected. Love causes you to serve others. And when you know you're loved unconditionally, and that you have that love inside of you, it should cause you in turn to love and to serve the people around you. I mean, the essence of of agape love talked about in Scripture is a self-sacrificing love. A love that gives and demands nothing in return. And so for you and I, we have to ask ourselves the question, what does your love look like? What what does it truly look like on a day-to-day basis? Because we have the model in Scripture Right? We, we have Jesus, the perfect picture of the actions of, of love. We have a mandate right here in John chapter 13. I did this, so you should also do this. Jesus says, follow in my footsteps. But the part that we often forget about is we have the means to love the people around us. Why? Because the love of God is in us and we have the power of the Holy Spirit that's indwelt in us from the moment of salvation. And so for you and I to to, to love other people and to demonstrate that love is what we are called to do moment by moment in this life. And so the question today, like I already asked, is what does your love look like? What does it look like? Uh, I mean, who are you serving and how? Who gets the use of your towel? Is it just yourself? Does your spouse get the use of your towel? Do your kids, do your kids get the use of your towel? Does the one who speaks badly about you the one who gossips about you, the one who is your friend to your face and then when you walk away is your enemy. Does your enemy get your towel? I mean, because that's really difficult, right? It's really difficult to serve the one who you don't like. Who gets your towel? The second thing I want us to see this morning is that your capacity to love is directly related to humility in your life. The more humble you are, the greater capacity you have to love the people around you. But the less interested you become in yourself, the greater your capacity to serve and love other people. Uh, Someone once said it to me this way, that the lower you go in self-concern, the higher you go in concern for others. Only humble people truly love. Only humble people. This this is a, a, a servant's towel that was given to you. This is not to be a decoration in your home. It's not an ornament for you to hang up. This right here serves a purpose. It is a reminder of who we are and what we are called to do and then how we are to fulfill that calling. So let me just sum it up in this way. It's humbling. It's humbling to use this. It's humbling to get low 
and to wash people's feet. It's humbling to be used by God in situations that in your flesh you don't want to do. It's humbling to forgive. It's humbling to love the ones that hurt you. It's humbling. And so people who are puffed up, people who are filled with pride, never get low. They never serve. And for the believer sitting in the room here today, there is a high calling on your life and it's not to be great. And it's not to be well known. It's not to be popular. You've been given a towel because you're called to love and serve. And every single time we come to the table of God's grace, we're reminded of the sacrifice for us and what he did to serve us. In fact, Paul, in my opinion, penned some of the most um, life-giving words and description of what Christ did as our example. In Philippians chapter 2, it's going to come to the screen for you. And he says this, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation. And he took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the what? The cross. And so until you and I are willing to empty ourselves of ourselves and we're willing to allow Christ to fill us with more of himself, it will be almost impossible to truly serve the people around us in our circle of influence. We, we are to live, in fact, we are to live a life in total contradictory to the way in which the world tells you to live. Complete opposite. One author said that the only people suitable to represent Jesus are the lowly people. The lowly people. And so Christ is our example of what it means to get low. Christ went low. I mean so low that he left heaven and he came to earth. And he didn't just come to earth, but he went to a cross. He was beaten and bloodied and bruised for you. And he was buried Man, but by the power of God, he rose three days later. Amen? He rose from the grave, and he's calling all of his children to turn and get low, to join him in humility. And the last thing I want you to see this morning is there is very little hope that you will ever be blessed, or, or in this case, happy. Don't freak out. That term means blessed in the Bible. Unless you obey Jesus. I want you to look back with me at verse number 15. He says, For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. And truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. 
If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Blessed are you if you do them. And in that last phrase, Jesus cracks open the secret to blessing, or or in another biblical term would be happiness in this way. Not the, the happiness of the world, but in this case, joy. I mean, the world is spinning out formulas left and right and pushing all kinds of products and and ways for you to have some path to joy. But Jesus is saying, I have the answer for you right here in Scripture. But the scary point is that it calls us to respond to Jesus in an obedient way. And there's often a refusal to do so. There's a refusal that results in no blessing and no joy in this life because we've no longer been obedient to what God has called us to do. But if we do this, if we follow the model of of Jesus, it's life-changing. It's life-changing. But if we refuse to follow the model, we're actually saying that we are better than Jesus. We're saying that we are better than Jesus because no true servant would ever think that any task asked by our Lord and Savior is beneath us. It's not. And so Jesus is saying, I know a way in which your life can be changed. For those of you who are note takers, I want you to write this down. Blessings flow from obedience. Blessings flow from obedience. And so here's what Jesus is saying. Get low, serve, and be blessed. Experience a life of joy from following my commands. And so parent in here this morning, get low, use your towel. Kids that are sitting in here, grandkids that are sitting in here, get low. Student, get low. Employer or employee, get low. Husbands, get low. Serve your wife. Wives, I'm not letting you off the hook either. Get low and serve your husbands. Get low. Get low. Because guess what? You have a choice that you have to make. In just a few moments, we are going to partake in communion together as a, as a body of believers And there's going to be a point in which we see from Scripture that every man is to examine himself before he partakes. An examination must occur. And a part of that examination, we should be asking the Lord, is there someone in my life that I don't love? Is there someone in in my life that I have neglected to serve? Is there some way in my life that I have failed to uphold the commands and the mandates of Scripture? And you're going to have to make a choice. Am I going to take up my towel... And am I going to wash somebody's feet?
I'm going to ask if you would bow your heads and, and close your eyes, but I don't want you to pack up your belongings because we are nowhere near being done. I still have you for a long while. Heavenly Father, I come to you in this place, and I think often times, Lord, we forget that being a follower, a, a disciple, means that we are to be the lowly servant. I wonder if in this place we, we came prepared to hear something vastly different, but Lord, you have given us a challenge to take up the towel, to get low, and to serve the people around us. And that may look different in every single situation, in every circumstance, every family. But God, you're calling us to serve. You're, you're calling us to display love to the people uh, around us. And so God, I'm asking in this place right now that we would take the challenge to serve. To serve here in church, to serve our spouse, to serve our kids. And I don't mean, Lord, that we give in to everything that they shouldn't have. But what I'm saying, Lord, is that we bring about change in relationships because we have, have loved them the way that you love us. And because of that love, they seek to know you more. And so God, give us the strength and the boldness and the courage to follow in your footsteps. To serve the people around us, even when we don't want to serve. Let us be reminded in this place. And I ask and pray these things now in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. And amen. I'm going to ask if you would please turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul writing to the church in Corinth says this in verse 23, For I have received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, also he took the cup, after supper, saying, this, is, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in, remember, in, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. But whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. So let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment upon himself. And that is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. 
So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give directions when I come. Here in the text, the word examine literally means to prove or to qualify one's self. Someone who examines himself is qualifying himself to eat at the table of the Lord. And so I want to ask all of us before we partake of the Lord's Supper to do three things. They're going to come to the screen for you to do three things. The first is make sure that you are saved. This time of remembrance is for the express purpose of reminding us of Christ's sacrifice. And as we look at the table, we look to Jesus. It was Hebrews chapter 12 that said, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Do you know the joy begins the moment that you respond to the call of salvation? Joy in this life. Joy is a person. It's knowing Jesus and being known of him and making him known to the people around you. And so how do you, church, know Jesus? Do you know him intimately and personally in this place? Because guess what? There's not, there's not a, a break in, in which we say, hey, you can't get saved until after the service. There's a moment right now in which you can cry out to the Lord and become a part of God's family right here, right now. And as I often tell the, the church For those of you who have been here any length of time, statistically speaking, in a group this size, and I know we're missing a handful of people, but in a group this size, statistically speaking, there are a handful of people in this room who are not saved. There are. There are people who come to church every single week and believe that I'm a Christian because I've grown up in church, or I'm a Christian because I attended Sunday school, or I'm a Christian because I was baptized. No, You're a Christian when you believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and you call on his name. The Bible tells us there is no other name that saves except for the name of Jesus. And so when you call out to him, Romans tells us, you shall be saved. And you can do so right where you're sitting. And as I also often say to you, there's not some specific set of words that you have to say. There's no card that I'm going to hand to you and say, if you mimic this prayer, you're on your way to heaven. No. There is no sinner's prayer in the Bible. It's calling out to God, recognizing you need a rescuer because you can't save yourself. Asking him to forgive you of your sins and confessing with your mouth that you believe that he lived a sinless life and that he died on the cross for your sins And that he was buried, and three days later, by the power of God, he rose. And so if that's you in this place, you don't don't have to wait. You can partake in this family meal by crying out to God. And so I have a question for the rest of you. Have you surrendered your life to God? Have you repented? 
And I'm not just talking about one time. But have you lived and mimicked a lifestyle of repentance? Have you received the free gift of eternal life? Because the only way to partake in today's remembrance is to make sure that you have repented and you've received the gift of salvation because this is a family, a family meal and only those in the family should participate. The second thing is that you should confess your selfishness. Ask God to cleanse you and make plans to serve somebody this week. I mean, please, please don't come and try to partake uh, of the Lord's Supper if you're bickering and arguing and fussing and refusing to forgive and serve the people around you. I mean, that would be acting just like the disciples were in our text in John chapter 13. I mean, in the text, do you remember that Peter protested Jesus washing his feet and then in essence said, okay, well then wash my whole body then while you're at it. Jesus pointed out that he was already clean. Peter, you are my child, but if I don't wash your feet, you're the same as Judas. You're not mine, but Peter, you, you are mine. You are mine, so let me wash your feet. And the last lesson from the towel is that we need to confess our sins and keep a clear conscience. Jesus is reminding those of us who are his children that we need to keep clean by coming and confessing to Jesus. And the good news is this. For those of you who have been in our Wednesday night Bible study, our discipleship class on, on 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, we learned in week number one that, that Jesus will cleanse us of all unrighteousness if, what did John say, if we confess our sins. He is faithful and just to cleanse us or forgive us of sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness if, if we confess. And so, you must come. I want you to take a moment and think about everything that's been communicated to you in this place. And as soon as the music begins to play, I'm going to ask of you to rise from your seats and, and come down here and grab a communion cup. And you're going to go back to your seat. And before we do so, I'm going to ask of you a couple of things. Can you be respectful of the moment? Don't grab the cup and as soon as you get back to your seat, start tearing the plastic off like... It's just a distraction to people. The moment right now is, is for you as, as a body and for me as your pastor to have a moment in which we examine ourselves before the Lord. Not a moment where we're distracted by plastic wrinkling because everyone can't wait to get that wafer out of there. We'll be together in just a moment to open up that cup and partake together, but I'm asking you to grab your cup and make your way back to your seat and use the next few moments of time as a moment to examine where we are before we partake together. And so if you would go ahead and cue the music, there are two focal points this morning before we partake. These symbols here have no saving power in and of themselves.
The first is the bread. And the bread symbolizes the body of Christ. The text says that Christ's body was broken for us. And what that means is that just as bread gives life to the body physically, Christ gave his body for us so that we might have life spiritually. The Bible describes Christ as the bread of life in John chapter 6 when he says that I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eats of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh which I will give for the life of the world. And when we gather here on these days of communion and we take the bread of the Lord's table and we break it and we pass it amongst ourselves, we are reminded that Jesus is our life. Amen? The one by whom we live. It was Paul who said in Galatians chapter 2 that I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And that is what the bread symbolizes. That he, Jesus, is to be our power by which we obey the commands of God. That he, Jesus, is the power by which we obey the word of God and the, the way that we are able to love the people around us and to forgive them and to be tender and merciful with the people around us and courteous. It's the power that helps us not return evil for evil, but to pray for those who persecute us. His life in us enables us to be what God has asked us to be. We live by means of Christ, the bread. The second is the cup. The cup symbolizes his blood, which he said is the blood of the new covenant, the, the new arrangement for living that God has made by which the old life has ended. Blood is the end of a life, the old life in which we were dependent upon ourselves and we lived for ourselves and only wanted to be the center of attention and that is now over and that is what the cup means for you this morning. That we are agreeing when we partake of the cup that we no longer live for ourselves. That when we take the cup and we drink it, we are publicly proclaiming that we agree with the sentence of death upon our old life. And we believe that the Christian life is a continual experience of life coming out of death. It is the bread that gives us new life. It is the blood by which this new life flows through us. And so as we have come this morning, we remember that Christ gave his life so that we might have new life and live in light of that new life. So at this time, I have asked two individuals here in the church to come because we see in the text that there was a prayer of thanksgiving that was given over both elements before they partook. And so if you would, at this time, please come, Kim and Carmen. In just a moment, I'm going to have you pray. As a family, we eat in unison together. And so what we will do is in just a moment, Kim is going to pray a prayer of thanksgiving over the body, the bread. And when she is done, I will read a portion of scripture and then we will eat together. And so Kim, if you would at this time, please uh, give us a prayer of thanksgiving over the body. We give you thanks 
Thank you, Jesus, that you gave your body. You told us to learn from you. You surrendered even unto death. You ask us to submit our bodies as a living sacrifice to you to remember your ways, to proclaim your ways. Thank you that you went to the cross. Thank you that you made a way for us. Thank you you gave us everything that we need to follow you, that your strength, your power, your words, we praise your holy name, Jesus. This whole week we remember as we take communion now, we give thanks, but we remember you and what you did. We believe by faith that what you say is true. In Jesus' name, amen. The scripture says that when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. So let's eat together. We also know from scripture that there was another prayer of thanksgiving that was given over the blood. And so at this time, if you would please pray for the blood and cup. Lord Jesus, as we come to you today, we just want to thank you for dying on the cross for us. We thank you for shedding your blood for us. And as we come this morning to, to drink this cup, we do it in honor of you and in remembrance of you. And I just pray that you would um, help us, Father God, to remember to be humil have humble and have humility and just keep us humble, Father God. And we just praise you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. And the Bible tells us that in the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's drink. The Gospels record for us that as they partook of the Lord's Supper and they departed from that place, they did so in singing. And so I'm going to ask now if the worship team would come back to the platform. Church, I'm going to ask if you would at this time stand with us as we close